Welcome to episode 16 of That Classical Podcast. This time, Modern Classical Music, part 2. Hello! Hello! My name is Chris Bland. And my name is Kelly Harlock. You're listening to episode 16 of That Classical Podcast. Welcome, listeners, across the globe. <laughs> um, we're pleased to have you here. Today, we are doing another episode on modern music. Because so... we've run out of ideas already. <laughs> um, but yes, we, we have a, a small passion for classical modern pieces, and uh, we want to tell the world that they're not all bloody weird and strange. Um, although exactly some of them right. some of them are a little bit, but we'll get to that later on. Um, Chris, why don't you start us off? Let's just launch in. I will. And I was, of course, being disingenuous because, you know, there's a lot of great <laughs> modern music and yeah. there's just a lot to talk about that yeah. we haven't. Exactly. So let's start. Off you go. Kelly, Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> Did you know he wrote stuff that wasn't West Side Story as well? What? I know, right? It's amazing. amazing. Mind blown. Um, yeah, so the first composer, as you might have guessed, that we're going to so talk sorry. about is yeah. Leonard Bernstein. I'm really excited. I love him, yeah. Um, so he is probably most well-known for West Side Story amongst yeah, your average Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top of that, he was uh, an extraordinary piano player and conductor and composer, like a classical conductor and a man who is good at that at the classical music mm-hmm. yeah so he was the music director of the new york philharmonic for years and years and years mm-hmm. um he sort of became an overnight celebrity in 1944 mm-hmm. um the compo- the conductor rather uh was indisposed for that evening's performance does that mean he was hung over discuss <laughs> who knows <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's written down somewhere and I just have not done enough research. But anyway, he Classic. jumped in uh, and replaced this guy for a concert and sort of became overnight talk of the town success. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, just had this sort of huge, huge career of just being a really well-respected conductor, basically, as well yeah. as a composer. Mm. So he's well known for his, he's got relationships with like, he's an honorary member of the Vienna Philharmonic. Uh, he, like I said, he was music director of the New York Philharmonic. He was president Bloody of the London hell. Symphony Orchestra. He had a really long relationship with the <laughs> Israel really Philharmonic. He like yeah he had his fingers in all the every big world pie orchestra. everywhere <laughs> great and all the massive pies <laughs> but also I discovered while looking into him so he went to Harvard to study music and while he was there he was the accompanist for the Harvard Glee Club of course he was of course he was because he knows where the cool kids are because <laughs> like, he is a cool kid disclaimer both of us are in an acapella group <laughs> NB um. So as well as being a pretty top musician, I think he was also just a pretty, pretty top, top guy. guy. Top, top bloke. bloke. Top bloke. <laughs> top man. A good egg. <laughs> yeah, mm. so he was a um, big philanthropist, gave out a lot of money to needy people. Oh, um, he was quite politically outspoken, um, which, you know, depending on... In a bad way or a good way? What are we talking about? Well, I mean, I agree with the things he said, so therefore a good way. <laughs> okay. That's how politics works. I'm <laughs> um, And another... What I think is a cool point about him is that he was pretty much the first major US-born conductor. Um, really? Yeah, so prior to that, it would basically been Europe as the centre of everything. I mean, and pretty much everyone we talk about is European. And or Russian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Hashtag Russian. <laughs> yeah, so he was the first major American conductor because... Europe is where all classical music had been concentrated up to that point and kind of still is to a large extent. Mm. But he was the first one to be like, no, no, USA can do it as well. USA, Absolute USA, legend. USA, USA. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> no, what, what dude? And, um, and as well as that, he sort of was a was big into teaching. He was a mentor and teacher to sort of a, like a good chunk of the major conductors that are working now, basically. Oh my God. Um, he sort of worked directly with them. So all round. What an 
absolute desperate overachiever, <laughs> I would not want to talk to him in a bar. Oh my god. It'd make you feel bad. It'd make me feel absolutely terrible about my life choices. So the piece we're going to talk about today is the overture to an operetta that he wrote, um, which was premiered in 1956, and it's called Candide, and it's based on the book of the same name by Voltaire. Do you know the book at all? No. Okay, um, it's really good. You should read it. I won't go like fully into the plot now because it's the it doesn't make lots of sense. (laughs) Okay, that's my favorite kind of plot. Yeah, but like lots of stuff happens. So it's this guy who's like quite optimistic and just wanders around and bad stuff happens to him and he's like. That does sound great. That sounds pretty great. It's really funny. Yeah. Book recommendation. Great. Let's have a listen to it now and we'll talk about it afterwards. Lovely. Absolutely delightful. Um, I'm chasing uh, someone in an Indiana Jones kind of train chase. It's great. I'm, I'm loving you. it. I'm mm. with you. I'm there. I see it. I see it. Um, yeah, it's just a really fun piece, basically. <laughs> okay. and it, yeah, it's so Bernstein Stein. Bernstein. <laughs> it is Bernstein Stein. Bernstein. Excellent. Yeah. Take note, everyone out there. Um, yeah, great. So this overture um, is now performed separately as like a concert piece. So it's not just from the operetta. Okay. And it was first performed in a concert in 1957. So one year after the operetta itself debuted. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and of course it was Lenny himself who conducted it. And my first experience with that piece was when uh, at the King Edward School concert band. Oh God. Oh <laughs> and God. so this was a, a band for all the kids who weren't quite enough, to, good enough to get into the school orchestra. Oh God. Um, so it was all like the wind and brass players. So I was there with my flute. And we played it at probably about half that tempo. <laughs> like, anyway, that was, that was my how, first exposure how, to this. How old were you? Maybe like 14. Oh my God. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, we'll post photos on Twitter. <laughs> I wish. Um, so this piece has become sort of quite special to the New York Philharmonic because that was who he debuted it with and obviously he'd had this awesome. really long relationship with them. Mm. Um, and they... So he died in 1990 and they did a memorial concert for him in mm. which they played this piece. Mm. But they did it without a conductor and that's now become kind of tradition for them oh. that they'll play this piece without a conductor. But how did they play in time? Well, I guess like the first violinist was like, and a one and a two. <laughs> Don't screw it up, lads. <laughs> Come on, guys, let's go. Um, amazing. Yeah, so on top of this as well, like he just, he's just got so many amazing pieces. So he wrote three symphonies, uh, a bunch of chamber stuff, a bunch of solo stuff. Mm-hmm. He wrote um, a mass, which is extraordinary. He wrote a mass? Yeah, it's amazing. It's this sort of like oh mixture God. of like liturgical text mixed with like um, almost sort of Broadway-ish singing um, with like a band oh, competing with an orchestra. Let's do a sixty-second bio. Let's do an episode on Bernstein. Let's, let's do absolutely it, do it because I am it. so intrigued. This He's... is genuine intrigue, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> genuine. Um, Stay tuned. Bloody hell, a mass. That's awesome. Anyway, that's unfortunately all the time we've got for now to talk yeah. about it. I mean, obviously, my favourite piece will always be G. Officer Krupke. Of course, of course. Uh, but you know, that's just my personal taste. <laughs> Nick! 
Hello. Um, it's Steve Reich. Reich here. Reich now. God. <laughs> 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 Fat boy slim, anyone? Okay, no. Um, so, Steve, <laughs> Stephen Michael. What an intro. Steve Reich. Um, he was born in 1936, and right. he's a very famous American composer man. Um, I think when, when people think of modern classical music, they think of Philip Glass, um, John Cage, Steve Reich. Sure. As the yeah. kind of main yeah. triforce of... Triforce, if you will. Triforce, um, yeah. Any kind of game fans <laughs> out there. Um, anyway, so look, he's a really influential dude. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, Andrew Clements, who's the music critic in The Guardian, once said that he is one of a handful of living composers who can legitimately claim to have altered the direction of musical history. That's such a good sentence isn't to it, have. Isn't oh it my great? god! Oh my god! I wouldn't if I if I were a composer, I wouldn't just put that on my like website. I just like <laughs> carry it, it around on and, my like, face. <laughs> give it um, to people. But yeah, no, he's he's a, he was really innovative throughout the seventies, eighties. Mm. Um, he's one of the first uh, classical musicians to really kind of successfully merge technology with classical music. Mm. He. Um, you know, use tape loops to create these kind of phasing patterns of things going in and out of time with each other and yeah. kind of, you know, over each other and all that jazz. Um, and you might know his work. He did clapping music. Chris, do you want to give us a little uh, summer summon of clapping music? Oh, yeah. So, okay. So it's a piece for two people hand clapping. I'm going to do it by myself. Okay. <laughs> Etc. Legend. <laughs> um, it sounds a lot better on the track. Rude. He also um, did pendulum music, which is something that I've, I only actually heard last week. Pendulum it's, music? Yeah, so basically, it's, and it's kind of an art installation in itself. So he's got three microphones dangling from the ceiling, kind mm. of going like in a pendulum motion at different times. And then beneath them are speakers, okay? So whenever a microphone passes over a speaker, the feedback is a certain tone, ah. certain note, depending on how far away the microphone is from the speaker. Yeah. So it's like, whoom, 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 <laughs> as the pendulums like go you, past. You can't see this, listeners, but she's doing a great <laughs> pendulum impression with her arm right now. You're welcome. Anyway, look, amazing. Just really, really interesting. And so he, he's just been really creative with how he uses technology. Mm. And um, never more than in this piece that we're going to talk about. Right. As follows, be it be this. Um, so it's called Different Trains, and it's probably mm-hmm. one of his most famous pieces. Yeah, for sure. It actually won a Grammy in 1989 for Best Contemporary Composition. So mm. there you go. Start as you mean to go on. Um, <laughs> and I remember hearing about this in a documentary when I was about 11, and I had no idea what was going on. Um, <laughs> Just about but um, let, I'm going to describe it in in the way that Steve did. This is his words. Okay, right. The idea for the piece came from my childhood. When I was one year old, my parents separated. My mother moved to Los Angeles and my father stayed in New York. Since they arranged divided custody, I travelled back and forth by train frequently between New York and Los Angeles from 1939 to 1942, accompanied by my governess. While the trips were exciting and romantic at the time, I now look back and think that if I'd been in Europe during this period, as a Jew, I would have had to ride very different trains. Ooh, okay wow so this is where the thought came from it's the kind of thinking back to the the war basically yeah, yeah um so what he started to do he started interviewing people in the states and in europe about the years leading up to during and immediately after world war ii okay so he recorded interviews with his governess who who was on the trains with him and reminiscing about their trains to train trips together in mm. the 40s mm. he also interviewed an old dude who used to ride between new york and los angeles reminiscing about his yeah. life back then that's a long train journey I new mean, york to los angeles. Yeah, absolutely. and then he also interviewed holocaust survivors mm. um 
all who were all about his age um and living in america um speaking about their experience and then combined all of that with american and european train sounds from the 30s and 40s like whistles and pistons and the scream of brakes okay so he's got all these interviews and then he took very small speech samples and notated them musically so if i could give an example like if i go hello chris the notes are actually like hello chris like this oh. and so like he he basically literally imitated that speech in with, melody with instruments so cool That's and amazing. and then he took the speech samples um, and the train sound transferred them to tape and then using a sampling keyboard like a and a computer he like he he made it into a recording um, so, and he was the first, I mean, obviously in pop and, and other like electronica music, yeah. people had been using samplers for bloody years. Um, but this was one of the first classical pieces to actually yeah. to use that. Yeah. Um, so basically how it works is like three separate string quartets are also added to the pre-recorded tape. And then the live performance has a live string quartet and the recorded interviews and Whoa. recorded strings. It's so that's cool. That's amazing. Okay, so, um, sorry, that's a bit wordy, lads, but we'll but, get yeah, there. We'll that's, get there. That's really cool. So, um, just so many steps to that. I like, know, that's incredible. I'm just yeah. so clever. I just yeah, can't get over it. Yeah. So basically, it's in three movements. So the first one is America before the war. The second one is Europe during the war. And the third one is after the war. Okay. So they're all very different. And, and you hear, I mean, in the music, it's it's amazing. Let me, let me yeah. tell you. Yeah. So as 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 I said, um, these like rhythmic patterns and, and pitches in people's voices mm. will establish the kind of melody and main kind of themes of each movement. Yeah. So um, what we're gonna hear? So we're gonna be listening to um, America Before the War. This is just the first movement. Okay. And the the bit I've chosen is. The, uh, a part where a man is saying crack train from New York, which isn't actually anything to do with crack. I want you to know that. Um, it just means the fastest train. <laughs> right, okay, <laughs> to New good York, to know. From New good York. to know. Um, and it's, it's amazing. You'll hear the strings kind of start to imitate um, what he's saying. Yeah. Um, and then we, we can't listen to it, but the kind of slower middle section, um, the middle movement during the war, you can hear things, you know, like they say, no more school. Um, they shaved us, they tattooed a number on our arm, flames going up to the sky. And all of this is kind of illustrated through melody as well and and screaming train whistles and it's incredibly moving. And And it's all really, so I've I've probably not listened to it as often as you have, but like it's it's all just woven in really cleverly. Like the the music's totally indistinguishable from the speech and it's... It's it's beautiful and and as he tends to do, I think the thing is with with Steve, with Steve, Steve... (laughs) My pal Steve. He really... I feel wants the listener to always detect the very slight changes that he makes. So when yeah. he does these like phasing patterns of, of things layering over each other just slightly differently at slightly different times, I still feel like even though sometimes it sounds like a mess, he still wants you to hear the slight changes, yeah. and that's very prevalent in this piece as well. Well, that's that's minimalism. Yeah, really, exactly. Minimalism. Said the M word sorry, yet, I didn't even but, say yeah. the M word. I'm so sorry. But yeah, so he's M- sort of star, 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 star. He's sort of um, grandpappy of minimalism, isn't yeah, he? No, yeah, no, it's great. Let's just listen to it, right. and and you'll see what I'm talking about. Perfect. Crack train from New York. Crack train from New York. Crack change, and we all, and we all. 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 Crack change, and we all,
good. Crack train to Crack train to But do you oh, see, so like, good. I hope everyone sees what I mean now with the kind of, yeah, the imitation of yeah. the words. Yeah, 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 makes sense, um, yeah. What, you enjoyed that, Chris, I can see. It's just really satisfying to listen to, if that makes oh, any it's sense. So it's just sort of... It just sounds really cool. And I don't also, it's like, and, and we, we were just saying, like, the train whistles, once you know they're train whistles, you're like, oh, yeah, of course they are. But at the time, they just fit. It, it doesn't it doesn't sound jarringly yeah. train-like. Because they're, they're doubled by the strings, the strings as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it sounds instrumental. And you've got that. And that like like that constant just yeah. tra- you know like chuck, 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 it's like a train. Um, anyway, yeah, so that's great, and I really urge you to um, listen to all three, and then go and listen to um, the counterpoint. What's it? The electric counterpoint. Electric counterpoint. Yeah, that's a great one. But also, it's he's got a lot of cool stuff, doesn't he? He's got yeah. so much cool stuff. But you know, also, and and it's got to be said, sometimes he doesn't do anything like this. Sometimes he goes way more classical and. Um, mm. I was listening to a lovely piece of his called Duet that he wrote um, in memory of... Is it a of... duet? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, but he wrote it in memory of Yehudi Menuhin mm. and it's stunning and totally chill and like <laughs> nothing like this. Um, so yeah, go go and have an explore and like... Will do. Yeah, great. That, that Classical podcast. podcast. The next piece we're going to talk about is from the decade that Taste forgot. It's the 80s. How dare you? Knee-high neon leg warmers. What's not to love? Mm, yes. <laughs> um, this piece, however, is incredibly tasteful, incredibly beautiful. It's called The Lamb. Um, oh, yes. It's by a composer called John Taverner, mm. um, who's a British composer. Quite famous, actually. Like He wrote something that yeah. was performed at Diana, Princess Diana's funeral. Um, oh, he's, sort of, he's He's pretty well known. Um, so, uh, this is... A really cool piece. So it's it's quite postmodern, basically. So it's not got a key. It's not got a time signature. Great, great start. Yet it does sound sort of quite traditional. So it's a soprano alto tenor bass, just your standard unaccompanied choir layout, mm-hmm. um, but does something quite innovative and quite cool with it. Mm-hmm. So this is, um, I'd say, certainly maybe not heavily influenced, but it certainly is aware of serialism. Do you know about serialism? Ew. Do I? No. <laughs> Nor do I. Um, <laughs> Twelve tone method. Take yes, me there. Take yes. me there now. Um, so <laughs> serialism, basically, they had got a bit bored of the fact that all classical music was based on just your normal scale. So your one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Mm, mm. They were like, well, that's all well and good, but there are twelve mm. notes to play with. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So they were like, well, let's. And there are various ways of doing it, but they took the 12 notes, they put them into an order, and then they would use that as their, inverted commas, scale for the piece. Okay. Um, And they could flip it around, what's called inverting, Mm -hmm. by sort of taking a centre point and flipping it onto the other side of the stave. Yeah. They can do retrograde, which is playing it the other way around. what's a stave? So it's it's very difficult to explain without paper. Stave is the five lines where Mm. the dots are written on for music. So you write the dots upside down and that's inverse. Sorted. So what we've got here is um, a row of seven notes, which is what the first thing we'll hear is the unaccompanied solo line. Then all sorts of stuff happens to it. Let's listen to it. And then after we've got an idea of it in our heads, Mm. I'll talk you through it. Oh, baby. Let's do it. (laughs)
it's so good. God, <laughs> God, Okay, so let me talk you through this briefly, okay. um, and I'm going to use my little iPad keyboard here just to, to oh, demonstrate a lot. Um, I haven't quite got the setting. <gasps> oh my gosh, please, can I choose what instrument you use? Yeah, go on uh, then. Hold on a second. We've got... Um... <laughs> can we just have O as the instrument? Can we try right, it? What does okay. it sound like? Perfect. <laughs> I'm there. Okay, we've got a piano sound now. All is well. All is well in the world. We are professional. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so that first thing you heard was um, this tune, the... Banger. Got it? Yeah. So then what he does is he turns that upside down. So instead of going up by like four notes, it goes down by four notes. So it goes... Right, yeah. So that's that same tune, just turned upside down. So, but he harmonises them together. But it's the same tune, but upside down, harmonised with itself. Oh, okay. Are you with me? Are you yeah, following? Okay. okay. So he's just flipped it, and he that's what it is. just flipped it, and, har- and that's, then that's the alto yeah. harmony harmonize underneath. Harmonised the crap out of it, yeah. Great. Yeah, so it's all still based on that initial opening phrase. And then it like it, it just keeps going throughout the whole piece, basically. So okay. everything he does is just like inversions like or flipped. Yeah, mm. it's like a mirror or upside down or just different ways of inverting this one phrase. But that's always sort of kept more or less intact. Because obviously it's like the 12 tone method and whatever, you know, is modern. But actually, and I, I sung that when I was about 15. Yeah. I had no idea. I just Blowing thought it was like, this is a pretty tune. And there's another pretty tune that follows it. So it's amazing to hear that. I had no idea. Yeah, no it's really clue. cool. So it's sort of pretty postmodern in the way it approaches uh, harmony. So like I said, no key signature. It's sort of nominally in G major, but then because you invert it, it like totally screws up the key. So it's just oh like gosh. two keys fighting against each other. It's it's just quite and clever. Both win. Mm. Everyone's a winner. It's just sort of quite a, a cool subversion of what we expect from traditional choral harmony. Totally. I think. Yeah, and actually, the real shame is that we can only play thirty seconds. But just after that bit finishes, is the most gorgeous, like crunchy chords. Mm. Like, oh, it's so nice. You've got to listen to it. Please, please go and listen to it. It's only like three or four minutes yeah, long. You're gonna love it. It's beautiful. But there you go, Taverner. Awesome. Sorted. Done. One, That classical podcast. And now it's my favourite time of the podcast. Yeah. Because I'm gonna talk about video games. Oh good. Oh good. I love it <laughs> when love we start it. talking about video games. Um right, more specifically, um, I wanna talk about Jessica Curry. Okay. Um, who is a composer who's been such a huge inspiration to me recently. Um okay. she's she's English, she's born in nineteen seventy three, and she's my Total idol, because <laughs> she writes the most stunning classical pieces for video games. Right. Um, so this is, you basically want to be her. I that, want like... to be her. Hundy P, <laughs> want to be you, Jess. Classical music, video um, games, the dream. <laughs> yeah. And even better, she presents a, a show on Classic FM about video game music. <laughs> so she is really the bee's knees, in my opinion, and absolutely can do no wrong. So look... Um, if anyone's forgotten or if you're a new listener to to the show um music from games um is what hugely got me into classical music in a very kind of personal way Mm. um i think it's a great pathway one of many into the classical genre i know chris might disagree (laughs) um but genuinely i think writing for games or films or something like that is, is a total art form because 
you have to evoke a certain mood that kind of adds to the gamer's experience and influences it, mm. but also kind of matches it. Do you Ooh. know what I mean? Yeah. Because it has to fit in with what they're already thinking, but you can also really influence what they're thinking. So you thinking can't be like in a horror game. It's like... So that's a real challenge, but um, Jessica Curry absolutely smashes it. Okay. Today, we're going to talk about the soundtrack to Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Okay? It's... <laughs> well, you're going to love it. I'll give you some background into it. All right. Um, it was a game that came out last year, and it's a game that we call in the business a walking simulator. <laughs> It simulates walking. Okay, so Sounds thrilling. Just calm down. So like, <laughs> they're, they're, there are no boss fights. There's no leveling up. There are no weapons. It's like an exploration and like, it's like a play basically sure. that you're kind of okay. in. All right. All right. Um, and it's set in this fictional village in Shropshire called Yorton in the 80s, right? And a couple of scientists. 80s. The yeah. decades <laughs> that taste forgot. Kneeling the neon, whatever. Um, so yeah. So they, they, there are these couple of, couple of scientists. And they see this pattern in the night sky, um, and it and then the pattern like comes down and it infected some cows, and now it's spread to humans. Oh no! Whilst trying to communicate with them, and basically you're this like nameless character. You don't know who the hell you are, but you are tracking the journey of this these scientists and their findings in this absolutely deserted town in Shropshire, trying okay. to find out why everyone's disappeared. Yeah. And yeah, you know, the title, everyone's gone to the rapture. It makes you think, well, what's happened? <laughs> rapture, so, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so basically, yeah, it's like basically a supernatural version of the archers. Um, <laughs> and you're rocking up into different houses and areas. And there are these beautiful floating orbs of light, which kind of dance and prance around and okay. reenact scenes for you. And you're piecing together this story. And I'm not going to ruin it, but basically... <laughs> The idea is that a supernatural being is ruining everything and oh, no. perhaps quite unintentionally has become a threat to the whole of humanity. Right. So. Cool. Um, it's this really ominous yet beautiful setting. And I think that is what the music is. Exactly. Like it's, it's <laughs> okay. ominous and melancholic, um, but mysterious and absolutely Jessica nails it. Let's listen to it. it the piece that I've chosen is called Finding the Pattern. Um, is it and... for the part of the game where they find the pattern? No, because oh. they're trying to find it. Oh right, they, well, they, they don't actually find sake. it. Oh, well, right, you'll okay. see. I can't, I'm not going to divulge, but let's have a listen. <laughs> So, right, while that was playing, Shocker. I think I've actually come up with a, a, a reason, a theory as for why I'm such a video game music oh snob. Oh my god, tell I me. think because I've always been like, oh, well, it's like it's just serving a purpose. It's not like music in its own right. It's just there as like right. background music. Yeah, right. But that's the same for like a ballet, right? Or an opera or, or something. Handy I literally yeah. just played you something from an opera yeah, you did. earlier this very yeah, episode. Yeah. Um, so Have maybe you... I'll take it back. <laughs> oh my god. But maybe it's sometimes valid to like video game music. <laughs> life-changing um so do you like this then yeah like no that it? was really nice yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. beautiful isn't it it's um it's really lovely and actually i read this little interview i found on the internet um 
where Jessica Curry said that she wasn't necessarily a religious person, but she used a lot of religious text. Hmm. With the and and on the other tracks, there are some really. Um, I think she used some things from Psalms and the Bible and cool. um, beautiful sort of choral sort of church singing yeah. and um, absolutely stunning. And yeah, you know, I I have tried to write music myself for <laughs> games and I know that it's not an easy thing. And Jessica, you know what? You're the best. You continue, <laughs> you continue to inspire me and you're an inspirational person and absolutely wonderful. So please check out her other, other things and uh, yeah, play the game. I know Chris will. <laughs> Modern music number two done tick. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed that. Also, if you if you enjoyed this episode and haven't listened to episode five, which was our first episode on modern music, mm. do go back and listen to that. Harmony Lira, a personal favourite of mine, <laughs> the Sailor Moon, pretty um, zany, super tanker. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed, Chris. What should people do? You should get in touch with us. Um, <laughs> thanks to those of you who already have been in touch to let us know you're enjoying the show. Thank we do you. really appreciate we love your it. Fan mail. it makes us happy. Um, so you can get in touch with us on Twitter. We're at that classical. You can find us on Instagram. We're at that classical insta. Mm. Uh, what else can they do? They can email us. You can email us at that classical email at gmail.com. Absolutely. But if you don't want to do any of those, one thing mm. you should do is go on iTunes <laughs> or the Apple podcast app. And leave us a five-star review. Please, please, please. A little cheeky five-star. Um, it helps people find us uh, a lot easier. So please do that. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.